the book. Now, I'm going to take my thought here in... Uh, there we go. All right. I'm going to take my text from Isaiah, the 29th chapter. I'm going to read several verses here. Um, follow me in your scripture, and, and you might want to have an ink pen to underline some of these things as we go through them, and I'll highlight some of the things that are important, if you would, to me anyway, and what God's wanting to say to us as we uh, go through the scriptures here. So starting in Isaiah 29th chapter, I'm going to start reading in verse number 8 and read down through verse 16. It says, it and it shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eats, and he waketh, and his soul's empty. And when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinks, but he awakened, and behold, he's faint, and his soul hath appetite, so that so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Of course, Mount Zion is a name for uh, the heavenly Jerusalem or the church. All right, verse 9, stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep, and he's closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered the vision of all is become as as unto you as the words of a book that's sealed, which men deliver uh, uh, to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it's sealed. And the book is delivered to him that's not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord saith, as much as this people draw nigh to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and their understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek to deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, who sees us? And who knows us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as a potter's clay. For shall, he the, shall the work say unto him that made it? ye made me not, or shall the thing framed say unto him that framed it? He had no understanding. I want to stop right there, and we want to just kind of pick up on that, and, and uh, there's a whole lot I can preach out of that, but this text from the prophet Isaiah came from a time in history when God had planted his people in a place they could have been blessed, and well taken care of. God had appointed kings for him. He had prophets for him. He had priests for him to lead the people in God's way. And God had fought their enemies. 
He made sure they were fed and all they wanted was uh, God to, all God wanted from them was to return and be the people that would serve him in a way that the generations of people that follow those people would have the same blessings and that God would get the praise and glory for the victories that God had those people uh, been blessed with. But because of a lot of things, just to name a few, selfishness, unbelief, pride, love for this world, God backed off and let them do things their own way. That's dangerous. And they fell in despair and utter confusion about God. They started doing everything man's way and forsook God's way. Now, this chapter is more warnings from God to get back to doing things God's way and not to learn on your own or not to lean on your own understanding and not to do it your way when God's showing you his way. As the children of God uh, got led away inch by inch from God's ways, they woke up one day and found that they had backslidden so far from God that God had lost the navigational skills to get them back on track with God. They just could not connect with God any longer. That was a sad time in history for the children of Israel or the Jews or whatever you want to say. And God addressed them in this particular chapter. Well, the whole book of Isaiah is addressed to them. And because they don't heed God's warning in the book of Isaiah, um, it leads them right into, if you would, Babylonian captivity. Um, they had to learn it the hard way, I guess you'd have to say. So now let's look here at verse 8, what we started reading here. And Isaiah is inspired to write about a hungry man that has a dream. Amen? You ever went to bed hungry and had a dream that, that man, I'm going to wake up, my stomach's going to be full, and I'm going to be full of energy? Uh, no, you don't eat in your sleep. Uh, I don't anyway. But when the guy wakes up from that dream, he's still, the Bible says, in his soul. So we're talking spiritually here, not T-bone steaks. He says when he wakes up, his soul is still empty. Or in other words, he's still hungry spiritually for the things he knows that he needs in his soul to be fat with God. And he also then says the same thing about a thirsty man dreams that he's drinking. But when he rises from his slumber, scripture says, he's still faint or he's dehydrated. He, he doesn't have the strength to move forward. He needs to get himself balanced in his physical, if you would. But here again, we're talking spiritual. He's faint because he didn't drink of the things God wanted him to drink of for his soul and for his spirit. Now, the last line of that verse um, tells of the parable of that verse. So it says, and anytime you get a parable, the last line, well, not every time, almost every time, I'll say it that way. Um, so, uh, so shall the multitudes be. Who are the multitudes? That's the people of all the nations or all the churches spiritually. 
that fight against Mount Zion, God's church and God's leadership. That's what he's saying in the last line there. Let me read it to you so you catch it as I say it. So shall the multitude of all nations be that fight against Mount Zion. That's the end of the parable that he's teaching there in that dream scenario of eating or drinking to get your soul satisfied with God. You're fighting against God. You're fighting his church. You're fighting against the plans he has laid down from the beginning of time when he put man on this earth. And when you fight against God, you're going to get yourself in deep trouble. Well, let me ask you a question. How many times in a week do you hear someone complain about something they have no control over? But God does. And if they would have turned to God, they wouldn't have had to been complaining about what they had no control over. They could have turned it over to God. That's why God allows us to pray. That's why God wants to hear from us. And he's eager, if you would, to do for his people what they want done. Some examples of what you probably heard this week. Um, uh, what about the weather? Anybody here complain about the weather this week? Too cold, too windy, too much snow, too much this, too much that. Didn't like it, right? What about the flu? What are we going to do about the flu? Who's going to take care of this flu? Well, if you pray about it, God can take care of that too. God knows who has the flu. God knows who doesn't have the flu. And God can protect you from getting the flu. And even if you get it, God knows how to touch you so that you can get past the flu to get back on your feet again. It all comes down to you yielding to the spirit of God, no matter what the problem is. What about the prices of everything? What? The price that went up? Holy mackerel. It, well, guess what? There are things that we have prices on that it's not a big deal to God. Amen. He can do whatever he wants or whatever. Amen. Let me give you just a quick example. I had a wheel bearing go out on my trailer. Stopped my business in its tracks. I had to go find wheel bearings. I had to go take it apart, put new wheel bearings in it. And it cost me a lot. And I thought, man, two bearings and it's that much. But guess what? I had one guy call me his snowthrower wouldn't start. I fixed his snow thrower and got it back to him and I only charged him a little bit. And he gave me a tip on top of what I charged him for fixing the snow thrower that paid for my wheelbarrows. That's the way God will work. If you'll let him work in your situations that come your way. I believe that God can take care of all those things, the weather, the flu, the prices, whatever you have that you want to worry about. God can take care of that if his people will humble themselves and pray. Amen? Mm -hmm. Most people don't worry about how much something costs until it costs them. Amen? I know I took Bonnie and, and the two grandsons to Frisius last night for dinner. Amen? Man, they just sat down and they didn't care what it cost. 
They knew what they wanted in the table in front of them. Amen. They threw food. They ate food. They did everything. Some was too hot. Some was too cold. They complained and carried on. And then finally, when it, uh, the dust settled and they were ready to go, we went out and they got up just ready to walk out the door. No care in the world. Didn't cost them a thing. But fat old pastor dude had to step up to the counter and pick up the bill. Amen. And it was way more than I thought it was going to be. But you have no choice but to pay it. And they were happy, even though they didn't, it didn't cost them anything out of their pocket. Well, the world kind of is that way. They're happy as long as it don't cost them anything. Amen. I sat down and watched some TV commercials about different kinds of new vehicles. And what well, I've seen several of them. And I, I would say to that uh, those vehicles, we were thinking about it, and I've even had people watching with me, and they would give estimated prices as to what some of those new vehicles would cost. Amen? Now, I just bought a car, but mine was in the price range where I could handle it, and we downsized a little bit to be able to afford it. But man, their cars on there, there was a, a Jeep on there, and the Jeep was 60000 It was, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Wagoneer or something like that. But if you got the grand one, the grand Wagoneer is almost $90,000. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think there's any place I need to drive where I need a $90,000 vehicle to get me there. My old GMC Rusty pickup truck will do the job. Amen. So when we think about those things, I don't worry about the price of a grand Wagoneer Jeep or Commander Jeep or whatever they call them things. As I'm not going to buy one. So I don't care how much they charge. It doesn't affect me, if you would. But we need to make sure that there are things that we can afford and we need to pray and ask God to give us the, the funds or the sufficiency to, to get things through. Amen. It's not too much longer until the same people that were watching the same commercials I did went out and bought a new vehicle. But they get the payments, not me. Amen. I'm sure I'll hear about how much the payments are two or three years into paying for this vehicle, if not seven or eight years. Amen? Well, here we come to verse number nine. It says there, stay yourselves in wonder. Amen. wonder what God's saying that. Well, I'm telling you what the, the dude version of that statement would be. If dude wrote the Bible, it'd say, stop and consider what you're doing. Amen? We need to consider things in the light of God because God we, wants us to listen to his two witnesses to guide us back to God. If you don't get a grip on what you're doing to the heart of God, God will send a delusion upon his people and they'll believe anything the devil and the world throws at us. Amen? It goes on to say, cry ye out and cry. What does he mean? Well, we need to stand up for righteous principles. They aren't thinking soberly when they get to that place and they're complaining and crying about everything's price, everything they have no control over, everything that's not going their way. And it's like they're drunk. 
but not on wine, the scripture says. It's like they stagger, but not from strong drink. Why? What's the problem? Well, verse number 10 says, they've gotten so far from God that holiness and righteousness is not guiding their focus. Now, he doesn't use those words, but you read it in the spirit it's written in. It's obvious they're doing it their way and not God's way. Because God has closed their spiritual eyes and has poured out upon them a spirit of deep sleep. Amen. I see people every day that are walking around with their eyes wide open, watching what they're doing. They're in a driving car sometimes. But I got to tell you, to me, they look like they're asleep. They don't have a clue as to really what God wants them to do or where they're going or what's going on. I often wonder when some people are going to wake up from the sleep that they're under spiritually. The truth's all around them, and they can't seem to grasp it or get a hold of what God's trying to do in their lives. I believe that's how Isaiah felt as he penned these words led by the Holy Spirit And he gave them to us for our examples so that we are without an excuse for our lackadaisical attitude and our selfish lifestyles that leave God ways out of our daily lives. When the prophets and seers of Isaiah's day were blind to the things of God's way, is it any wonder the people of God were in trouble with God. Amen? There's a scripture in Matthew 15 or 14. I'm not going to turn there. You can write that down in your notes as you're following me along. Matthew 15 and 14 says, if the blind lead the blind, they all fall in the ditch. Well, that's a scenario, if you would. Isaiah was seeing from God's people as God was revealing the truth about his people Uh, as he was writing these scriptures. Amen? So in verse 11, the vision of all this uh, became uh, or become unto you as words of a book that's sealed. All these things, verse 11 says, the vision of all, uh, the vision of all is become as a book, uh, unto you as a, the words of a book, that's sealed. I got it memorized, and I sometimes say it faster than my eyes are reading it. But here we have, if you would, a people that have a book that has all the understanding they need in it, and yet they don't read it. Amen? I don't know about you, but a lot of the times in my service work that I did as a Sears repairman, I went to people's homes and had to settle down there thinking, if you would, on how to operate the equipment. And I say to them, well, where's the owner's manual? Have you looked at the owner's manual? And they can't even find it. And that's the first thing you get when you buy something from Sears. When you open the box, the first thing on top of it's the owner's manual. And usually that's the first thing they throw away so they can get down to the whatever gadget they bought from Sears they can use. Amen? Well, Sometimes we got to get back to the owner's manuals, God's word. And of course, uh, in the New Testament, John taught us in the New Testament that Jesus was the word. 
Amen. You can read that in the first chapter of John. He said, this is the word that became flesh. So the words that God has given us, we just seal them out. Whether it's written word or whether it's the spirit of God or whether it's the teachings of Christ, we get to the place where we think we can paddle our own canoe so we don't listen to what God has to say to us. We go on about our ways. Now, the seal that we're talking about here on this book can take on a couple of different meanings. And to the, the people in Isaiah's day, to seal something meant something. Amen? Now, in Isaiah's day, and of course, we even read it in the New Testament, uh, when it came to the, uh, the prodigal son, he came home, and the father didn't make a slave out of him when he came home. What did he say? Put a, put a ring on his wrist. You know, that ring on his hand that he got was like a seal. And that seal had an insignia on it. And whenever you wanted to sign legal documents, you dipped that into hot wax and placed that on the, the scroll or the paper that you wanted to say. It's just like signing your signature or your name to a check. A check is worth nothing if you don't sign it. But once you sign it, it's worth the value that you wrote on it. And that's the seal that you put on that check. Also, when Christ was in the grave, they went to Pilate and said, you know, them crooked old disciples, they're going to come steal that body and say that he's resurrected and start all kinds of problems. And we'll be in worse shape after that uh, incident than we were when he was still alive. Well, Pilate told him, said, that's your problem. You go seal it. So what do they do? They rolled a stone in front of the entrance to the cave where they buried Christ. And they take those insignias and they press them in the ground on each side of that stone. And that seals it because if that stone moves, it will break up or crush that seal insignia into the dirt. And everybody will know that that sealed tomb had been opened. Oh, he didn't talk about sealing that tomb with a caulking gun and go out and caulk all around it and seal it airtight. That's not what it meant. It meant the seal was the insignia or your signature on what you say is true. Well, when you read the book, you have to understand that your seal needs to be applied to it. God's seal is on that book now because God says what's in it is important and it's true. Amen? So if you don't open the book, you can even look at it as though it's sealed with silicone or whatever you want to seal it with or dipping in wax or whatever you want, because if you don't open it, it won't help you. Amen? Then second of all, if you read it and it contains words that you've never heard of, the understanding is still a mystery to you. That's kind of like the college books they gave me when I was in college. Told me to read them and I'd know everything. Well, I started trying to read them and I fell asleep trying to figure out what the words were in the books that I never heard of before. Amen? So if you read a book like that, your only choice is either to go get a dictionary or go to the author of the book and ask the questions until the understanding becomes clear to you in your mind. I took a college course in botany at Ohio State University. 
Amen. There was a book that was mandatory that I read. Went to the bookstore. Naturally, I bought a used book because I was cheap. Bought a used one, started reading it, and man, it made no sense to me at all. I could not get any understanding. Words in it I didn't know. But you know what I did? Every day from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, five days a week, I went to a class where that professor that wrote that book was there explaining what the book really means. By the end of the class, I got an A because I listened to what the professor had to say, and he was the author of that book. Guess what? If you go before God with his book and spend time with him every day in the book and ask the author to explain things you don't understand about the book, pretty soon you'll come out of that class with an A because you're doing what the book says you should do and what the author of that book, in this case, would be God, wants you to be, and you'll get the understanding you need from God. Amen? Here in Isaiah, they had the book. They took the book. They tried to understand it. They gave this book to someone that was learned. Oh, a smart guy. Amen. This guy should know everything. And they asked him, tell us what's in the book. And he said, I can't. It's sealed. Wow. So in verse 12, they turn around. And they take the book to someone that's unlearned. Amen. Whether he's smart or whether he's not smart. And they ask him to read it. And his excuse for not reading it was not that it was sealed, but because he was unlearned. I don't understand it either. I don't know what to do. You need to go to the author of the book if you want to know what's in it. Amen? Just this week, I've had people that I met with that are uh, working in a, a business. And uh, when I tried to pay the bill for the service that I got, the person behind the counter could not make the right change out of the money I gave him for the service that he needed. He asked me, how much change do you get back from the money I gave you? And I told him, well, fortunately, when he counted out the money that he gave back to me, it was the right amount. But you would think somebody that's running a business that has to handle somebody else's money would have an understanding of how to do that. But you know why he probably does it? He never took the time to sit down, learn it, learn to add, learn to subtract, learn to how to figure it out and find out how to make change for somebody in a business transaction. Amen. I also this week went with a fellow. He wanted to look at a tractor. He wanted my opinion on whether this tractor was worth the money that he was, uh, the seller was asking for. Now, no doubt, this fellow I went with has much education lots of knowledge. He knows a lot about a lot of things. He has several degrees from college, PhDs and MSDs and whoever else cares, Ds, whatever. Yet, he wasn't sure how to mow grass. Sometimes you can just learn enough to know your area, but that doesn't make you right in every area. Amen? 
you need to get down to the nitty gritty sometimes and learn the, the small things that God has for us to do. Oh, I know there are preachers out there can can preach the rapture and the millennium and the, uh, all tribulation and on and on and on. And yet the word doesn't even, in my opinion, doesn't even cover that kind of things. All right. Nonetheless, we need to be balanced in our ways of the word of God. And, and the things that God wants us to understand, he will show us through his word and through his spirit. So it doesn't matter whether you're educated or uneducated. The word of God is for everyone. It comes down to your level. Amen. There's a song they sing like that, isn't it? He came down to our level when we couldn't get to his. Amen. And he'll pick us up and take us to where he wants us to be. But in verse 13, it starts out with the word wherefore. Now, you guys know that I'm a stickler for four different study words. That's one of them. That wherefore, that means that uh, based on what I just said or what was just taught, here's the conclusion to that matter. So wherefore, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but they've removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of man. Whoa. Well, when he says, wherefore, saith the Lord, what God is saying to us, pay attention. Here comes what I'm really wanting you to understand. For as much as this people draw near with their mouth and their lips and do honor me, but, that's another study word, on the other hand is what it means, their heart is far from me. You see, God's not interested in lip service. God wants heart service. And what was Israel? What was the children of, of Israel giving God at that particular time? Lip service. Oh, they all acknowledged that how great God is, but they did things their way and not God's way. Amen? All they were given was God, was lip service, and oh, yes, they would shout hallelujah. And then when great things happened, they'd say, praise the Lord. But their hands and feet didn't go the same way that God wanted to guide their lives. And their heart wasn't in it when they did say the things that they knew they were supposed to say. God even gives us the answer to why they're in trouble with him. In the last verse, last line of verse number 13, all right? And it says, uh, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of man. So there's one thing God wants us to have when he wants to lead us in the things he's got for us. Number one is that we have to have the fear of God. Amen? Now, that fear that he speaks about there is a spiritual fear. It's a reverential fear. Just to make it plain and understandable to you, God wants you to respect him. That's something that's lacking in a lot of people's lives today. And the smarter they get, it seems like, 
the less respect for God they seem to have. So what's he saying? If my people don't respect me enough to follow me, but they take man's advice over my advice, found in my teachings, their doom is on the horizon. They're headed for trouble with God. It will soon come to pass. That's what he's telling the Isaiah's people and the children of Israel when he's speaking here in this particular portion of the scripture. Then he got in verse 14. See, we're moving right along. Therefore, well, therefore is also a study word. It means the same as wherefore. It says, God, uh, say, I will do a marvelous work among this people. That means he's going to make examples of them. If God does something great in your life, it's not so that you can brag about what you've accomplished. It's so you can share the testimony of how God used you and help others along the way. He's going to take wisdom of the wise men and it shall perish. If you're going to do it wise people's way, it ain't going to work. And he's going to make fools of them along with the understanding of their prudent men. Amen? Some of the smartest people of, in America today, or they think they are, are in Washington, D.C. And they're making some of the dumbest moves that they could be making in respect to how the people of God would want those moves to be made. Now, they may be happy making some people happy, maybe a third of them uh, in America, but for the most part, uh, that's not what God wants uh, his people to understand as to what's coming out of that particular town for us to pattern our lives after. Amen? So they won't be able to find God in the paths of the smart and the prudent people that we have leading us today. Amen? So verse 15, God says, whoa. Amen? Now, whenever God says, whoa, that's really not good for those that are walking outside of God's will. Amen? I like to underline them. And even when I read the Revelation, there's three woes coming. And boy, do they hit when the seals are un, 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 when the seals are unlocked and open to the people of God. It's one in the, the fifth seal, the sixth seal, and the seventh seal. There's three woes. And man, when they hit, the people of God know they're out of step with God. Oh, yeah. They seek God's counsel. But their works are done in darkness is what the scripture says. Amen. So uh, I want you to know, I understand that the next three words in my Bible of verse 15 there, that it stands out to me is um, the next to the last line in verse 15. And they say, I underlined that. So when I read that, it will jump off the page to me. Man, is that real light of a uh, real red light of warning for all of us. When man says you got to do it this way, and that's contrary to the word of God and the spirit of God, boy, we need to mark that down and watch it. Because they say, well, first of all, it's hard to figure out who they is, but when they say it, 
we have to realize that it's not got any uh, count to it when it comes to standing up against God. Whenever someone gives you counsel based on what they have to say about it, yeah, you better be careful. You need to seek God for his own ways on this particular subject. Never follow someone blindly just because they say so. That will get you in trouble really quick. Amen? For they say, whoso seeth and whoso knows. Sounds good to the flesh, but it's rotten to your spirit. That's what God was telling us there. Well, I'll tell you who sees and who knows. God himself. Amen. You made it, and in reality, he knows it. Better than you know yourself, God knows you. Nothing that you do is hidden from God. Now, you may have some secrets that you've got hidden from your spouse. You may have some secrets that your children know nothing about. You may even have some secrets that your friends and your neighbors don't know anything about. But God knows it all. You can bet your life on that. God sees, knows, and understands. Amen? So to take the attitude that everything's okay because you feel good about it, very dangerous. Especially it's dangerous before God. You know how I know that? Because verse 16 says, You've gotten everything upside down and backwards. That's what he's telling them, children of Israel. You guys got it all wrong. Amen? He says, you know what you guys act like? You act like clay. Piles of mud that a potter put on a wheel and spun it. And he took his hands and formed that into a nice vase or a nice pot or a nice something that was useful. And then he paints flowers on it. And then he makes it... Uh, who cooks it in the kiln and, and becomes out of wonderful uh, pottery of some kind, but the clay doesn't turn around and say to the potter, ah, I ain't valuable and you had nothing to do with it. Huh? Or to somebody that's a building, if you would, or a building that's built. Uh, when a house can say to the builder, I made myself, I'm a mansion. Amen. Everybody's going to enjoy getting inside of my mansion just to get in out of the weather and enjoy the blessings of me being the house I was built. And the builder, you didn't have any part in it. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Amen. And God makes those kind of statements to them to tell them how ridiculous it is for the people of God to say they know what's going on. When in reality, God's the one that made every one of us what we are and what we are doing in this life. Amen. I remember a lot of things. Well, and those, those dumb sayings that people have as a, you or me saying to, to God, look how great I am. Amen. I did it by myself. I, I, I'm taken back. I enjoy sports, and I enjoy watching a, a good game or whatnot. 
But when I see a sports star saying, standing up and say, oh, man, I had to carry the team or I did this and I did that and we're champions because of me, uh, I, I, it just makes my skin crawl because they got two legs and two hands just like I do. Now, they use them in a different talent than I do use mine, but that don't make them any better than me. And you know what? God made their hands and feet just the same as he made mine. And they're no better than anyone else. If they want to take the glory for it, their glory is going to stop when they no longer can perform the way they should perform. Amen? So when I see those things, it's people think there's heroes and whatnot. That's when it uh, was that God made us, and he made us who we are, and we need to do that. I remember a great saying I heard when I was just a boy. Never forget where you came from. Amen. It's always I've even heard the statement. Remember those you pass as you climb the ladder of life, because they're going to you're going to have to go back past them and go back down the ladder on the rungs of the ladder back down to earth, so to speak. Amen. So don't bad at someone else just because today God's using you in a different way. You need to remember. You came up the same way as everyone else. The old saying is, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Amen? We, and Job even tells us, we all came into this world with nothing, and we're all going to lead the same way. Amen? And if you ask Job, he'll tell you exactly that from his writings. Now, if you ever want to amount to anything, it's because of God. We owe everything we are and everything we have to him because he cares for us. When I entered my study earlier this week and I thought God was leading me about talking about the book that was sealed. And I thought about the book that was sealed with seven seals in Revelation, the fifth chapter. I was going to preach from Revelation five this morning. We haven't got there. Maybe that's next week. I don't know. That's up to God. But he led me this way because the seals so many people have placed on God's word have hindered them from being what God wants them to be. Don't think because you've read some of the Bible, you know it all. And don't think even if you've read the entire book from cover to cover that you've got all the understanding God wants you to have. Because I've been doing it for years. I would venture, I haven't kept track, but I'd venture to say I've read it at least 20 times or more from cover to cover. And that's not the studying I do to prepare messages or lessons or whatever I do in my just study time. This is extra reading. I probably read it 20 times or more from cover to cover. And I've learned every time I do it. And one of the good things I found the last time I read it from cover to cover, I didn't read one word unless I had an ink pen in my hand to underline the things that I felt God really made stand out in my mind as I read it. So now as I read it again and again and again, those things will come back to my memory of how good God was to me when I read those things. 
Now, if you want to turn over to Hebrews, I'll give you one last verse and we'll call today. But in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, it talks about the word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12. It says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen? The word of God is quick. Now that doesn't mean it's fast. Amen? When I played football, one thing they appreciated out of fat old dude they put him right in the middle of the field because he was the quickest one from sideline to sideline. Amen. That's what my coach told me. So he thought I'd be best to be right in the middle of everything. I think he put me there because he wanted me to take a real beat from everybody else there. But nonetheless, uh, it was, it doesn't mean quick as far as how fast you can move your feet or move yourself. That's what the King James says. The word of God is quick. It means alive. And in your side margin of your King James Version Bible, it says in the revised version, it's living and active. The word of God is not a page by page book with ink on it. It's a living word of God that will help you in your walk every day of your life. Amen. It's something that will walk alongside of you. And when you have problems, it will have the answers for you. I kind of look at the word of God this way. There's no problem I'll ever have in my life that the word of God can't solve it for me. That's the way I take the word of God in my life. Because it's not only alive and active and working, it's powerful. Man. No matter what comes against me, it will stand up against it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And in their day and time, I know they didn't carry around guns and uh, AR-15s and AK-47s, but they all had a sword. Amen. If they had any authority at all to carry it, and if somebody crossed them, they knew how to use it. And then the people that had that didn't have swords knew the ones that had swords knew how to use them. And that they were sharp enough to cut you in pieces pretty quick. Matter of fact, the word of God, the scripture says, is sharper than any of those swords because it can get between your soul and your spirit. Amen. Don't worry about the two-edged sword that can cut your fingers off or even cut your head off. You need a bit to worry about the two-edged sword that can divide your soul and your spirit and teach you where God wants you to be and guide you in your life. He says the word of God is a discerner. In other words, it knows you completely. It discerns everything about you. Now, I know there are people who think they got the spirit of discernment, but the spirit of discernment they got is just that they're nosy and they're gossipers. This spirit of God, this word of God, knows you completely. He knows your thoughts and the intents of your heart. Amen. You can fool other people. You can tell them, oh, I'm happy with this, that or the other. But if that's not in your heart, you can hide those feelings and they'll never know any difference. You can't hide those feelings from God. God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Amen. So don't seal the word of God in your life. Don't seal it. But what you need to do is uh, 
place it in a way that those the word of God will be your guide every day in every situation. Open the word. Look at it. Live by it daily. You know why? Not to help you. Yeah, I mean, it will help you, but that's not the sole purpose. That's just the beginning purpose. The sole purpose of it all is that other souls may find the same help from God you found. Amen? Others can know the greatness of God's plan that he has for you. Amen? So let's unseal the book and get involved in what's going on in the book. Amen? Now, if you hear Brother Dude tell you about the book or and you don't even listen or you don't care, I don't know if that matters any or not. You know, if you never hear me speak or never hear me and give my, if you would, thoughts on the word of God, ah, well, but if God speaks through Brother Dude and you don't listen, that's not okay with God. God's given you the ideas you need to get straightened out. God spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to the children of Israel. Amen? I think some of them listened, but the majority didn't. So it took about another hundred years, well, less than a hundred years, for the Babylonian captivity to step up and say, well, you're not going to listen to Isaiah. You're not going to listen to God. I, I'm going to make you listen. And he had... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar come in and take charge of what was going on in Jerusalem. Amen. Pay attention to the word of God. Don't seal it up. Open the seals. Read what's in there and understand what God has for each of us from the word of God. And remember, Jesus never said it's going to be easy, just worth it.